0: wasn't like phil yeah. sims was included on the press release and he's saying <laughs> you know I, I was burnt out and this is the best thing for me and nothing just he amazing. still
1: hasn't spoken to my knowledge so it hasn't been anything yeah. he's just laying low totally
0: and his kid and chris is going off on his podcast about it call, oh, saying really? that, oh yeah. So, jim nance had to sign off on this he was part of the decision all this stuff he was saying that he's the one who told his dad that he was out his dad, apparently, he's like, ah, oh, I was the one who had to tell him. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, man. Jeez. The only thing that's interesting about the Romo stuff to me is that it's like zero experience. I'm like, okay, that's just bizarre. But, hey.
1: What you gonna yeah. Do? <laughs> zero experience in a guy who's kind of known for being a little bit like... I don't know, the word that comes to mind is clunky, but it's not even it's not even that. He just seems to be a guy who's kind of like, I don't want to say botched it in the big moments, but it's not like he's like King Clutch or anything, and then you're <laughs> throwing him into this kind of like surefire trial by error type of scenario where you're just like, hmm, he might say something really hilarious or something, but we'll see, it'll be interesting for him. But I wasn't what I was expecting at all. I was just like, yeah, he's even going to Houston for sure, so no debate. All of a sudden it was like, TV, huh? Interesting. But I guess it's good money. It's the same with the coaches, right? Hard to argue that. Mm -hmm. Don't do that gig. But anyway,
0: when someone thinks you have the gift of the gab and you have, I don't know, they get the job real quick. But we're not here to talk about football. We're here to talk about the only important sport, the mixed martial arts. You are listening to The Hurt Take. This is The People's Podcast. Right, Mitch?
1: That's that's what you say, so I'm gonna believe you.
0: Well I'm trying to think, like I've been saying, you know, this is uh the show for the fans, by a couple fans, but now I'm thinking maybe we should just, just go straight straight to it and call it the People's Podcast. Because I mean that's that's really what I'm trying to say here. This is for <laughs> the people, by the people. I like it, man. <laughs> yes. See? <laughs> Barely a discussion, just an agreement. It's cause it was so good. Yeah. All right, yeah, well, it's... oh, I'm sorry, I cut you off there, but I'm going to continue talking because I'm, I'm just really excited for this podcast. Basically, the first show that we will record after one of the, probably the most important cards so far this year, one of the more important fights so far this year, Melvin Manhoff got knocked out. Mitch, what a big story. Bellator What? Went... oh, sorry, <laughs> not that MMA card. UFC 210. Oh boy. This is why we can't have good things, Mitch. We can't have good things. UFC 210 is exactly the reason. I'm just going to let you kick it off because I, I was just I just don't even know what to say about the New Earth New York State Athletic Commission, Mitch. What the hell was that?
1: <laughs> You're fired up today, man. That was uh that was an intense uh intro there. I like
0: it. It's hard not to be.
1: Yeah, well it was a crazy weekend, I guess, right? So but yeah, New York State Athletic Commission. I have no idea. What a what a comedy of errors this entire weekend felt like. Um, you know, we start with this with the towel gate or whatever it's being called, the the insane weigh in process that was, um, and that whole drama and then leading into all sorts of craziness later that day with the with the Gonzalez fight and the whole you know, are they going to be allowed to fight? Are they not? Issue with with that and the uh, crazy breast implants. So that was a weird, weird one right from jump. And you look back all the way to well, you know, UFC two hundred five and these. It just has been a weird start to MMA in New York overall. So um, it's interesting. Now Bellator's got a pay per view coming up there too. So pay close attention. I guess it seems like it's going to be a bit of a weird thing anytime they go into New York for the first little while. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The only the only silver lining that I can take from this is it's like now that New York is a place they can go, at least we know that they're gonna they're gonna put a lot of cards there. So at least they're gonna learn really quickly, and maybe all of these mistakes will get ironed out really soon. You know, like they're gonna be professionals really quick. That's that's the only thing I can hope for because they've already had three MMA cards, major MMA cards, now and and we should have expected that there would be these kinds of screw ups, but they're still just so amazing to behold. I mean, the Daniel Cormier pushing down. No, it wasn't just that it was that he weighed in, didn't make weight. And so to everybody, they thought, Oh my God, like he can't, he can't weigh in again. He's not, you know, he's not allowed to, but he leaves, he comes back and he weighs in again, this time pushing down on the towel, which by the way, I, I friggin' scienced this up. I got a little scale in my bathroom. I stood on it, put my hands on the table and just gave a light little push. And I lost two pounds. So I buy it. I definitely buy that. Uh, but it's just, I don't know, man. Like it was just, and then Johnson showed up literally like two, like a minute or two minutes before the cutoff time. So he stepped on the scale really close to the, the weigh in, cut off it it just seemed like they didn't know or were afraid to enforce their rules i i don't know it 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 was it was really i don't want to say upsetting obviously it wasn't upsetting but it did not instill confidence heading into the weekend that's for sure we had to have we had to have known that this was foreshadowing something to come
1: (laughs) I guess yeah, it's true there it was it was a crazy beginning, and something that you know it just it kind of opens your eyes to the whole thing with the different rules in every state and and all of this stuff, right It just opens up all these conversations, and so instead of kind of building to a huge fight night, it felt like we were coming in learning about rules, trying to understand these different nuances and all these weird things that are on the table because we're in New York versus if we were in Vegas and um it's just crazy and it seems to me like a lot of the people that are involved a lot of the fighters a lot of the coaches it looks like even these behind the scenes people there's no one letting people know hey this is the rule you're going to get this two-hour extension if you miss weight and don't worry this and this it feels like they don't even know right like someone's got to actually go and flip open a rule book somewhere and start reading through things when these crazy things happen and um that you think would get better with time and with more events but um Man, until then, we should have some more drama coming our way, I would think.
0: <laughs> well, it certainly contributed. The New York State Athletic Commission certainly contributed in a very direct, meaningful, game-changing way. So we're gonna, I'm going to hop right into the fight in question. Uh, Gagar Mousasi versus Chris Weidman. Now, you and I were both super hyped for this fight, realizing the implications of it, what it could mean for the division, what it could mean for both of these guys' careers and and to see it end the way it ended was such a buzzkill. It I could not imagine a worse finish than that for a fight. Uh, I I struggle to think of another fight in UFC history that had that kind of controversial ending that was more of a of a of a of a letdown that that ruined something that big and potentially that great. Like that. I mean, it was unbelievable. And for anyone who maybe hasn't seen the fight or doesn't know, we'll just I'll just recap real quick. Gegard Mousasi had Chris Weidman in a front headlock. He threw up one knee that connected to Weidman's head. And then as he was throwing up a second, Weidman's two hands touched the mat, and one of them came up a, like a millisecond before the knee hit Weidman again. And Dan Mergliata stepped in and and basically broke, broke up the fight, said they were illegal knees, and said that Weidman got to have his time to recover. But as they were kind of looking into this, he asked John McCarthy, who was sitting cage side, to look at the replay and to see if it was actually illegal, which in and of itself is an illegal thing. They're not allowed to do that. And then some cage side physician people, they look at Weidman and they think, oh, he's not fit to continue. And so after about four minutes of confusion, they just decide, okay, the fight's over. So we're all sitting there thinking, okay, DQ or no contest or something like that. And then they announced that Garrett Musasi won, that it was a, that it was a knockout. And it's just like every, you could feel everybody's head exploding everywhere in the arena, across the country. Anyone was watching that card was confused and had no idea. I mean, freaking Joe Rogan was, he was saying one thing and then they had Mark Ratner come on and was talking and he said something else. So they didn't even know what was going on, Mitch. It was just, I I felt like I was in the twilight zone.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. It was definitely insane. And, um, exactly like you said, having Rogan and these guys on the microphones that were also confused. Um, it seemed to just kind of add to the whole, thing, the magnitude of the whole thing. You were just sitting there and and like you said, with them giving that five minute extension for him to rest or whatever the heck is happening, he remains sitting on the canvas the whole time the camera's just sitting there. No one knows what's going on. It just felt like forever. It was a weird yeah it, it felt like if it had just ended, oh, it's an illegal knee, you know, boom, fight gets called, da 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 da, it ends within a minute or something, doctor comes and checks on him, it ends. It would be controversial and all the craziness, but it just felt like because there was that weight it would just magnify the whole thing. It was just craziness. So, um, and then to see it end like that, it was, it was very interesting. So um, you got to say poor, poor Chris Weidman to a degree. That's two different uh, fights in his home state in New York. The guy spent half his life trying to have the right to fight in his home state. Uh, and now that's two in whatever it is, eight months
0: yeah.
1: um, in front of the home fans and both. And, you know, the first one obviously ending in devastating knockout this one just in confusion but was probably you know headed towards maybe not a great ending yeah. um you know if you decide those strikes are legal um uh, be that what it is we were talking about the commission and obviously the the key here is that they rule them illegal knees they're not allowed to look at the replay that's it that's the only way the thing can end is it, the best case scenario it ends is a no contest referees screw up whatever you want to call it it doesn't end in in a in a defeat um so you know everybody's getting technical where his hands off the mat where they're not where they're not it doesn't even matter it's what it was called it's how it was stopped you have to go with you once you stop that action like you can just put them back in position and and go again there's already been the pause he's had five minutes to recover from what were legal knees by you know if the fight just continues as it is you know who knows how that fight ends weidman was kind of making the argument that he's been through worse and that kind of thing but uh, you know, looking at him after he had that five minute break, he still was wobbly, kind of yeah. getting to his feet and stuff. So I don't know that, you know, that fight went on for much longer, one way or the other. But uh, yeah, a very weird way to end for sure. So, yeah,
0: you know what that that whole situation feels like? It feels like, it feels like the catch rule in the NFL, like the, the <laughs> like you know what I mean? There's because when you think about it, if Musasi lands those two knees and Weidman's hands are clearly on the mat. Clearly on the mat, and they don't his hand doesn't come off the mat in that split second before, and there's no if hands or butts about it. the fight just ends it's a, It's a disqualification, and there's nothing to argue about, but by pure chance, the technicality of his fingers coming off the mat at that moment, and Musasi landing a clean knee, it's like okay, now is it so now is it like should the referee be stepping in because like he thinks they're illegal, but they're not illegal. So now we've entered this gray area where you can't really be sure what's right or what's wrong. But by merit of Mergliata stepping in, the fight just ends. It has to end because they're, they're flush knees. They impacted and they clearly left him hurt. Like if, if those were clean, because then the alternative is that those were clean knees, but Weidman shook it off and was able to kind of stay alive and grapple and whatever, we'd be thinking nothing of it we'd be thinking he got through a tough spot. So it it's that weird it's like the NFL catch rule. It's like the the process of the catch or the process of the fake knee. Like where does it become a catch and where does it become an illegal knee and where does it not? So I just think I thought the whole thing was highlighted that there is that that strange gray area in between where you're going to have those situations that just ultimately scuttle a whole fight and for no and for no good reason just The circumstances conspired against it. But Yeah,
1: it's it's could you it's totally true. Sorry to cut you off. But I I keep thinking when you look at you watch the replays of that and you see where the referee is and you wonder, you know, even in that split second, how is he supposed to see whether the guy's hands are on the mat or not? He's running to get in position as he goes, you know, behind limbs, behind legs, all you know, these little fractions of a second. So you hear Dominic Cruz on the broadcast, he's arguing instant replay, this is why we could have instant replay, this is exactly what it's for. And I'm thinking, so, best case scenario here, they look, they go, okay, yeah, no, legal knee game on. Like, what what do you just call the fight back on now? Same thing. Everyone's been standing around for seven minutes. What do you put them back in the headlock position? Yeah, which is uh, dangerous. You know, yeah, exactly. Right? I allow them to continue from that position. Like, where's the win there? So, I, I couldn't agree more. Once that ref steps in, one way or the other you come up with, I think that's what a no contest is in something like, you know, in this in mixed martial arts where you have the referee, there is going to be that error, right? There could be something didn't get seen or we misunderstood something or just we butted heads, whatever that circumstance is, no contest, do the rematch, away we go, right? You don't want to see it end that way, but at least it's not that messy. Um, And this just, yeah, this just seemed like, you know, like I said at the beginning, comedy of errors over. And (laughs) it's just it was just one thing after another. It was very weird night.
0: It's just terrible. But at at the end of the day, you gotta feel for both guys. Musasi doesn't want to win like that. It doesn't look f- good for him to win like that. Um, and for Weidman, it it, su- it sucks to lose like that. And now he's on a three fight losing streak. And one of them has a kind of a big asterisk beside it. But where where do you either guy or both guys? Where do you see them going from here, man? Because like we said before the fight, they were both sort of at this this crossroads moment. You know, Musasi now uh, with the win, maybe title contention with a loss, it would have just totally scuttled his momentum and Weidman wins, you know, loss kind of different, huge implications. Where do you see them going?
1: Well, it's nuts, right? We talked about this last week a bit too, but Musasi's contract's up. Yeah, so huge way, deal considering exactly.
0: how he's been talking.
1: Exactly. Everybody's screaming rematch. The guy's not even under contract. Obviously, you know, I believe the rules are the UFC has a chance to match potentially for within a six-month window. Got all these weird little stipulations in these contracts, but, it, you know, by all intents and purposes, he's a free agent. He's going to get to listen to other offers now. Um, he's a Scott Coker guy, mm-hmm. strike force guy back in the day. Um, You've got to think Bellator is going to think quite highly of him, and I think this odd drama, as, w- as much as it was weird for the fight, um gegard Musasi doesn't talk virtually ever uh he kind of did the most talking he's ever done leading into this fight and then i think this the drama of the way this fight ended uh, put headlines out there quite a bit so i i think if anything his stock has risen in terms of how bellator would see things uh and now obviously he's got a bit of a bargaining chip because what does the ufc do they let him walk and then weidman's just left in complete idle they desperately need to get him booked for a rematch. Then he's kind of got the bargaining chips that way, too. So very interesting. Um, and then Chris Weidman, I mean, what do you say? I, it looked to me for the third fight in a row. First round looked great. Second round, I'm not saying third third fight in a row, first round looked great, but just third fight in a row he's lost, has looked a step slower than one of the top guys in this division, Yeah, uh, arguably. Um, he then, was starting to get you know, picked apart a little bit there yeah in the arguably point.
0: he was on his way to a loss anyway in that fight
1: he, yeah he totally i mean he, he was taking him down in the first round and then it just seemed like kate okay, kind of figured out his space his timing a little bit and now you know now the takedown wasn't working as much mm-hmm. uh and let's be honest this is a guy who's you know kind of notorious for being able to be taken down so even the takedowns aren't something to write home about necessarily mm-hmm. so um yeah wasn't wasn't the the big seal of approval he was looking for going into the fight, obviously in terms of Weidman. So, um, yeah, quite crazy. It's where either goes from here. I don't really think we have any idea right now. You've got to think the rematch probably happens, but I I don't know. What do you think?
0: Uh, I think you summed it up pretty perfectly. I I have to agree (laughs) with pretty much everything you said. The only thing, if I'm going to make a bold prediction here, entirely speculative, I don't think Musasi's coming back. I, I really, really don't. um, Some of the things he's been saying don't sound like a guy who is at all... I mean, when you talk about, you know, uh, in in sports, uh, is a guy going to come back and give a hometown discount? Musasi's not coming close to taking any discount, period. He's looking to get paid and paid well. And when it comes down to the UFC, I think a lot of that is, you're paying me and you're paying a bit more out of respect for how you've been underpaying me. You know, and he said some things about... uh, I can't recall the fighter's name, a Japanese fighter in Bellator. A guy just fought against, I think Rampage recently, uh, something Ishi, maybe. Anyways, he trains with Musashi and Musashi was interviewed about that guy's fight and was saying, yeah, he really wants to go to the UFC, but I kept telling him, man, no, you don't, you don't want to do that, like the Reebok deal. And he was just, he was talking like a dude who was not under contract with the UFC, just ripping them hard. I don't think he's coming back. So that's, that's the only thing that I would say is I don't see him coming back. And I think that Weidman just really badly needs to take a step back and a tune-up, like the definition of a tune-up fight. He needs to go fight Tim Bosch, for God's sakes. Just someone that will give him some challenges in some areas, but will get him on the right track again. Or prove that he's that he's off the wagon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know what yeah, I don't even know. I was thinking Tim Bosch could uh, you know, is that a challenge even at this point, but it's interesting. But anyways, we'll see where they go.
0: <laughs> well, on to the next big uh well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go we're gonna leave the the big fight for our last, last talk topic because I think you always save the best for last. But uh the other fight that, that was really interesting to me, um, for almost the same reason that the Chris Weidman – Chris Weidman's fight was so important uh, and had all these implications for me was Will Brooks against Charles Oliveira because a lot of people considered Will Brooks to be the best fighter not in the UFC for a while. So when he came to the UFC, it was a big deal. And this wasn't, okay, he's the best fighter outside the UFC – Uh, And they just went out and and got that guy. It was a guy who's still coming into his own. A guy who's still moving into his prime. He's not that old at all. I think he's he's on the good side of 30. A champion. So there was a lot of... Like, this was okay. Like, this is a guy who could actually legitimately make some noise in that division. And he's coming in on... And he loses his first fight. And okay, fine. He lost against... Uh, he lost against uh, Cowboy Oliveira, who was a big dude for lightweight, broke his rib in that fight, bad luck. So you were thinking this was almost like a must-win fight for him. And he goes out there, and he loses the only possible way he could he he could lose against Charles Oliveira. I was saying to Crate, I went and watched the fight with Crate, and I said before that fight, I said the only way he can lose this fight is if he gets caught in a scramble and Oliveira catches him in a submission, something like taking his back. And that's exactly what happened, and my jaw just hit the floor. I was like, oh my God, this is the worst case scenario for Will Brooks. How did you you feel? What did you think? Did your heart go out to the guy, or did you just think this is the fight game?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, my heart didn't go to him. Um, It just is one of those things. Ill Will has looked nothing but uh, ill, I guess, really. He's not... uh, (laughs) he hasn't looked good in the UFC and it's, you know, it's interesting. You see these guys come in from these other promotions. You see it time and time again, it tends to take a little while when they first come in, you know, they might need a fight or two. This is his third fight. Now he's now one and two in the UFC. You know, he's got a win over Ross Pearson and that's it. And like you said, with that hype and with everything, I thought this was, uh, you know, going to be that fight where he started to kind of turn the corner and start to show us the true him. So a performance like this, it's, you know anybody can get caught, but it was just in how quickly and how kind of you know, devastating it all looked to be honest. Yeah. It just didn't seem like he had much much else going on. So it'll be very interesting to see how he can bounce back from this. But it was something exactly like you said, we you know, everybody kind of got big things for this guy coming in. So um but Oliver is no joke either, right? He's a guy's been around forever. Um he's fought everyone, so he's never an easy out for anyone. So it's I mean you know, he's beat the who's who in the division, so it's one of those things where you're not... It's not embarrassing to lose to a guy like that, but um, just poor timing for Will Brooks.
0: Yeah, and on the flip side of that, too, you, when you actually realize that with that finish, Charles Oliveira is now tied for second in UFC history for submission finishes. Like, you're, you kind of think to yourself, Charles Oliveira, really? Like, he's been... Yeah, nine submission finishes in the UFC. you It does not get any... Better than that, or more dangerous in the submission game. So, I mean, kudos to him. I've always really liked Charles Oliveira as a fighter. I think that he's got a bit of AJ Johnson in him, and when time comes to kind of fall apart and quit, he's good at that too. But man, (laughs) he has a killer instinct, dude. And when he gets a hold of you and he is like searching for submissions, you got to be scared he's going to find it. So, he looked fantastic. Uh, yeah, just too bad for Will Brooks, man. I, I really do think that that's that's a shame. As much for the fans because w- that's just one more name in the lightweight division that's kind of lost a bit of luster and needs to get that back. Be nice. It would have been nice if he'd won, and all of a sudden we're talking about another guy who possibly has title contention on him. But nope, guess not. Back in line, but that's lightweight. It's man, that division is deep, deep and scary. Okay. So we talked that fight. Do do you want to talk about Usman and Strickland at all, or do we just want to kind of touch on it a little bit? Because, I mean, we, we did hype that fight last week.
1: <laughs> hey, that's that's definitely your world, buddy. Um, why don't you go for that one?
0: <laughs> I feel like it doesn't take that much to, to really describe it. Usman looked for real. That's That's about all I can say. He looked yeah. in great shape. He looked aggressive, mean, his striking was 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 good he pushed the pace his grappling was unreal and he just dominated start to finish i don't really know how what else to say other than to say that we said one of the guys coming out of this fight was going to be one of the next top 5 dudes and push for and apparently it's kamaru usman
1: yeah yeah and he even sounded uh, sounded the part after the fight he was uh you know was was definitely not shy in in his post fight interviews and Is is looking for another fight and is talking himself up in a good way. So it seems like he's you know he's getting it done in the cage and he's also pretty good on a mic and that's that's a good combination in today's world. So um, I definitely think we haven't seen the last of him. That's for darn sure. Like we were saying.
0: And uh, so I'm what I'm really impressed with most about this is when you consider the camp situation that he's in. He was one of the Black Zillion guys and that camp has fallen right apart and a lot of those guys have not. You know, seem to have not taken that split really well, but Usman is still he's surging, and that's a testament to him that he can keep his his eyes on the prize. And you know, I guess at least he listens to his coaches, unlike AJ, who we'll talk about in a <laughs> minute.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's something to keep your eye on too, because I mean, he was he was training with hoops before this camp, and now with everything that happened with Johnson, he's talked about before training. You know, at least until Anthony Johnson is done, so. Um, more changes to come in those camps, I would suggest. So, um, something to watch with with Deuceman moving forward. But he's definitely handled it well so far.
0: Well, I am excited to watch him continue to fight. That is, yeah. that is for darn sure. All right, if you're listening, you probably love the content that we're putting out, right? Just a guess. Okay, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you get pissed off at a few things we say, but you're listening. So here's the deal. We need your help. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the show, Not The Public Podcasts. Review us, rate us. Every little bit helps. Check our website out, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Clicks are huge for us too. Make sure you visit, make sure you listen, and make sure you give us a little bit of love. Now, I'll take you back to the show. What I'm for darn sure not excited about was the main fight from UFC 210. The title, the light heavyweight title fight, uh, cough interim, depending on how you want to see it. Boy, oh boy. (laughs) What's that mean?
1: No, no. Realistic, I would suggest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is half as harsh as the things I'm sure you're about to say about your boy, Carl Winslow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But yeah. that, man, ah, that, that fight, it sucks when it's like, because I know you're not a big Daniel Cormier fan, but I felt kind of crappy because he, he never, I mean, he doesn't do himself any favors in a lot of ways. But sometimes he comes he has to come out there and fight a guy like Anthony Johnson who seemingly does everything he possibly can to just kind of give Daniel Cormier exactly what he needs to win the fight. It's like, hey, I will, I will hand you this fight on a silver platter. Just, I'm going to do everything dumb. I'm not going to listen to my coaches. By the way, if you have not looked at the transcript of what his coroner was saying to him during that fight, I, I encourage you to look it up. It's like a freaking Abbott and Costello scene. It is amazing. Literally like, don't wrestle him. Why is he wrestling him? I don't know why he's wrestling him. Fuck Anthony, stop wrestling him. It's amazing. Anthony Johnson just he went and obliged him it's like don't wrestle against Daniel Cormier don't grapple with him what does he do he initiates the grappling exchange right up against the cage like what was he thinking Mitch tell me please
1: (laughs) I don't think anyone can tell you I think from what you just were talking about with their coaches uh, his team doesn't know what the heck happened in that fight Uh, Cormier seemed shocked when you know even after the fight they were asking (laughs) him about it he seems stunned uh, very odd strategy and, and an interesting one. Like sometimes you'll see guys try that thing where they, you know, it's almost like he wants to beat him at his own game or, mm-hmm. you know, you saw Jones do that when he fought Cormier a couple of takedowns where it was almost just like, you know, just proving a point more than anything or something. Right. Just I, I can beat you at what you do best. Um, but this just didn't seem like it. This seemed like, you know, uh, as I was watching it, I couldn't feel it. It just felt like he, almost i was almost like is he taking a break like this is the first round i don't know why he's taking a break he hasn't even thrown hands yet it hasn't been a you know a big slug fest where he's been swinging wildly and now he's gonna lean on him uh it was just very odd and you know he said even after the fight it was just you know some mental mistakes and that kind of stuff and it's just more of the same it seems like from him in that sense but um Yeah, on the other hand, you know, you you said you were waiting to see what I'd say about Daniel Cormier. And this might be the first time (laughs) Uh I actually, (laughs) this might be the first time I actually liked some of the things he did. He seems like he's, you know, kind of embracing that bad guy role. He knows he's going to get booed either way. So he's just kind of, you know, seems to love it, highlighting the fact he's making a lot of money and enjoying it, enjoying himself. So um, it was another one of those where, you know, he doesn't excite me to watch yeah i can't help but make fun of the guy he comes running down with his gym shorts pulled above his uh, above his nipples you know like it just (laughs) it's like he he goes out of his way to look as dorky as possible but then at the same time you realize he doesn't really care he doesn't do anything but win he does you know everything he touches he he's good at so at the same time he's probably not real worried about where his pants are pulled up to and those types of things so i think he's just kind of he's a 38 year old man that's that's grinding people much younger than him so um yeah it, it's kind of impressive to be honest obviously he's still got that shadow uh hanging over him or or standing ominously to the side of the cage anyways but mm. um yeah we'll see what happens with that fight but this one was one where i thought he kind of did all he could do you know he, it's not his fault uh rumble wasn't really game he took him out in short order did exactly what he said he would do and and uh yeah didn't even barely get touched in doing it so hard to argue really
0: oh totally yeah it, it that was one of those cases where as a sports fan, sometimes you think, did one team win or did the other team lose? I feel like that was one of those ones where, where Cormier just did exactly what champions do. Johnson gave him the opportunity. He showed him like, here's the door. All you have to do is walk through it. And Daniel Cormier just said like, don't mind if I do. and just stepped right through and took advantage of that opportunity. Like that. That's what champions do. They got killer instinct, and they go out there, and they take advantage of what you give them. and, and Cormier has made a career out of that, and it's amazing to me that, that that like Daniel Cormier is legitimately, if his career were to end today, and you did not, if you were re- and you just blocked his name out, and you just looked at a record, you'd be like, man, that guy's one of the best MMA fighters ever. And and nobody, I mean, not nobody, but he does not get that kind of respect like that reputation doesn't precede him and to me it is entirely 100% because of john jones and that that is it that is the specter of john jones it's amazing how in the fight game you can have this two careers are tied to each other like they define each other who your greatest opponent is and for daniel cormier that is and will forever be john jones and until he fights him again and either beats him or loses to him, I don't think people are going to talk about him the way that he deserves to be talked about as being one of the best of all time. Because once his career is over, you know, four or five years down the road, whether he beats Jones or not, I mean, if he, let's say, for instance, he doesn't beat Jones. They fight again and Jones beats him again. Five years down the road, people will say, yeah, but this is a dude who worked heavyweights, and worked everybody else in that division. The same guys that Jones was working over, largely. It, that he's Hall of Fame. Jones is better, but Cormier is, he's right up there with him. And I don't feel like anyone talks about him that way, and it's kind of a disappointment to me. Um, but then Daniel Cormier doesn't go, you know, doesn't do himself any favors, and turns around and starts chirping Jimmy Jimmy Manawa. and you're like, what? Really, Jimmy freaking Manawa? Why?
1: because he 's a company man that 's why because he 's a company man that seemed that seemed like the most staged call out i 've ever seen in my life like they yeah, actually, they, they yeah. knew they were both there, you know what I mean they brought him in, they they knew where they were sitting them, he seemed to know exactly where they were both sitting it, it, <laughs> you know that 's neither here nor there i don 't even want to talk about that stuff okay. but <laughs> I was, I was going to
0: quickly ask though, do you think that the, the, so you think that 's the UFC covering their bases? that 's them saying, listen, if John jones doesn't get his shit together, we have a second option?
1: 100%. Okay. 100%. Yeah, they're they're covering their bases. They've got both guys there. Not only that, I mean, in the world we're in today, it's it's one comment, it's one little Twitter feud from, you know, something getting big. So the more irons you have in the fire, right, you, you stoke both fires because even if he, you know, you need to have someone for those guys to fight when that fight ends, right? Yeah. So I, I think on that sense, it made sense for them to both be there. They had some nice hype leading up. That kind of stuff was good but it was the you know the kind of cormier added extra spice in the cage that seemed a bit staged to me where he was you know kind of chirping and going out of his way to not even pay attention to rogan who was trying to get him over to speak and you know it was like he was making sure that he can make some money on his next fight if jones <laughs> happens to slip up yet again you know yeah um so and you can hardly blame him i guess at this point but um, yeah, that's like I say, that, that stuff's really interesting to see where this whole thing will go now. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean,
0: I, of- I feel like I could talk all day about the public image of Daniel Cormier. Honestly, I think it's one of the more fascinating kind of like, why is this guy talked about the way he is sort of topics. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I was thinking, and now this is, this is for anyone who's half familiar with pro wrestling is he reminds me exactly of the public image of Roman Reigns, who is like, you said the exact words that people would say about Roman Reigns, company man. Like WWE is staged. It's all set up. These guys are built. They're supposed to be characters and and all this stuff. and, And MMA is obviously far more organic. But the way that the crowds react to both of those guys, one of them made up and the other one not made up, is exactly the same. It's completely fascinating to me that someone who's a made up character, fans revolt against them because they think, Oh, he's, he's made by the company. He's being sold to us as the guy we're supposed to like. Meanwhile, Daniel Cormier is just sort of, that's who he is. And he just does as the U S you know, he's just trying to do right by the company and he's just trying to be who he is. And fans think the exact same thing about him, that he's just sort of like a sellout and that he's going to have a company man. And Even Daniel Cormier realizes that. He said it in the press conference after the fact. He brought up Roman Reigns and was like, oh, man, I'm just like him. And I was like, yes, that is exactly who you're like. It's, I don't know. It's just weird to me, Mitch. I mean, obviously, because of present company, you're not a big fan of him and all this stuff. And it's just like, I'm neither really here nor there. I really respect Daniel Cormier in a lot of ways. But on the other hand... I see why people don't like him, but I also don't see how people can not like him as much as they don't like him.
1: <laughs> wow. I might have to rewind that and listen back on some of that stuff, because you just went on for a while there, my man. I'm not too sure, but... <laughs> <laughs> just, I, I don't know You're fired what up is. over this. Here's where I disagree. Here's where I disagree wholeheartedly, and I think the reason what we're not... I, I don't understand the WWE references. I apologize. It's not my world. I'll, I'll just pretend that you're 100% right and he's exactly like this 100%. Roman whoever. But let's just move on from that. <laughs> I think when you look at this, the reason he gets booed, the reason people think he's fake, I did call him a company man and there's some of that. He works on the Fox and that kind of stuff. I do think when people see guys announcing and things, it kind of blurs the lines a little bit for them. But more importantly than any of that, he has a belt that nobody believes he won. Right. John Jones had a belt taken from him if he comes back now and fights Jones again and loses you said before you know now he's 19 and 2 or 20 and 2 whatever his record will be he's beat the who's who he's won at heavyweight da 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 no one will care he'll right. be a loser people will think he's a loser it will continue because they will have been validated in the belief that he never was a champion he never had a belt right. he's a fake champion he'll never be seen as a champion if he doesn't beat Jones I think the only way he gets lucky is if Jones screws up, he doesn't have to fight him. You know, maybe we can let him go and say, yeah, he's a champion. You can pull out the rest of that resume and everything's there. And that sounds harsh, but I don't know that it is. I think that's that, you know, it maybe it's a little unfair and you see it in everything. Um, you know, there's a reason there's this kind of, there's always the, you know, the, the one and the 1A. There's always that guy who can't quite reach that level, whatever it is. He might be, the same championships exactly but we always talk about him not the other guy you know what i mean there's always that and, and Cormier is just that lovable loser he's always going to be that guy but if he doesn't beat jones he <laughs> to me there's i i think he gets very little respect when you start talking about hall of fame and stuff maybe if the you know the ufc or something was pushing for it but not it's not going to be clamored for by the fans he's not going to be remembered for anything but not being able to beat john jones in my opinion Fair or unfair? I mean, the guy's got a resume, an unbelievable resume when you look at it um, in terms of combat sports, period. Olympic wrestler, strike force champion, all the rest of it. He's kind of done everything. And to be doing what he's doing at 38 is insane, realistically, because um, that's actually kind of one of the one of the storylines coming in. I started believing in a little bit or not believing in, but kind of starting to think about a little bit was that these two fought two years ago. Cormier's now not 36; he's 38, and wow, what a difference! And you know, I'm getting old myself, so I realize like I can't even do anything the same as I used to be able to do. So I can't imagine at this level, right? You kind of get that understanding. And he, he maybe even looked better in this fight. So it is, you know, it's definitely some impressive stuff to what he's doing. Uh, it's just not going to be what he's remembered for, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> I know, Mitch. I know you're right. I know you're, I know you're right. I just can't help it. He just seems like. The kind of guy that if I bumped into him he'd just be so nice. Whereas John Jones seemed like he'd be like, Ah, okay. Yeah, all right, buddy, and then roll his eyes and walk away after not signing my shirt.
1: Well, and I mean it looks like we're gonna get the fight. I don't know how it goes anywhere else. The one the one positive to come out of this is Cormier, you know, barely broke a sweat in the fight, so yeah. you gotta think that yeah. we're we're looking pretty good for July, Dana White was saying post press conference that, you know, it probably can't happen in that fight week area because he would be literally off suspension like the day before or something. And yeah. um, so but he's also, you know, in very intriguing. What do you think about the whole co main event talk now? He's saying he won't make this Jones Cormier will never main event a card. Cormier is saying he refuses to co main anything other than a McGregor card, so you know, something crazy, some kind of weird mixed promotion in September with the with the Floyd and Connor. What do you
0: think? Well, I, I gotta say that as part of the conversation about a potential Floyd connor fight is what what kind of fights would they have on the undercard? Would there be boxing? Would there be MMA? Would there be both? Who even friggin knows? So, gosh, I mean that would be I I, I don't I don't even have the words to describe how excited I would be if there was a friggin Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather fight headlining. With a co-main of John Jones versus Daniel Friggin Cormier, I mean, for God's sake,s that that's the best one-two and on a combat sports card. I can't even think of an alter. I can't even think of a better one than that, to be quite honest. So, if I were, if I were playing fantasy-wise, I would, I would, uh, I would buy that. I would pay a hundred dollars for that card.
1: Definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we know there's not always a lot of weight on, behind what Cormier says, but that's he's on record saying he won't fight. As a co-main, period, unless it's on a McGregor card, uh, who doesn't say that nowadays? But I think he's got a bit of bargaining chip here. He's yeah. been kind of dragged through the mud by Jones enough times that I think he might have, uh, uh, you know, a bit of sway when it comes to this fight. So it just is—it's interesting to see how the timing will shake out. But um, you know, and it's always an issue with Cormier getting to the cage, and who knows what version of Jones we're getting, and. Yeah my god man i could talk about it for days to be honest it's going to be super intriguing what an insane fight to come back to if you're john jones um you know all sorts of things we talked about many a times the one thing you were talking about with daniel cormier he just continues to get it done jones did as well when he fought you know Mm -hmm. same prue didn't look amazing but was able to get it done same effect here with cormier and johnson and now you know, are both, you know, it's such a storyline of of which version of whom we're getting from both guys going into their fight against each other. It's, yeah, it's going to be crazy.
0: <laughs> well, from one probably not respected enough fighter to another not respected enough fighter, we may have just had this big UFC card, but there's another UFC card coming up this weekend with arguably the best mixed martial arts fighter on the planet headlining it. Demetrius... Not McGregor. Okay, well, you know, Mitch, I'm saying one of the best then. Arguably, I would agree, I think Conor McGregor is the pound-for-pound champion, but I have a whole reason for that that's arbitrary. So, Demetrius Johnson, by record, by streak, by whatever measurement you want to put it, the best pound-for-pound fighter on the planet. But nobody knows a, a thing about who he ever fights. Nobody knows... Uh, much about him, no one ever sees the cards he's on, because he's always on these small cards, and this and that, and the other thing and this seems like the the same thing I mean, you know, he's headlining a fight night, sure, it's a pretty decent lineup, two or three fights at the top of the card are looking really good but uh, are we thinking that this is just another day at the office for Demetrius here? I mean, Wilson Hayes who, like who? I literally was kind of like, who, when they announced it? What are we thinking about this, man?
1: UFC Kansas City. Who's not excited, right? Um, uh, it's going to be, uh <laughs> should be a good card. Kansas City, Kansas? I... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I uh, I don't know. For some reason, this feels like the perfect uh, card for Demetrius Johnson. I know we always talk about him. You know, does he sell enough pay-per-views? Does he not? da 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 I like this. You have this card that's kind of flying under the radar. You've got, you know, a city that's maybe not, it's not Vegas. It's maybe not the big lights. Um, But speak of a guy who just goes out there and gets it done, right? Here's another guy who's just the consummate pro. He headlines these cards. You don't really hear anything from him. And slowly but surely, he is on these Fox cards. He's getting a lot of eyes. He's, you know, I think he's growing in popularity. He's a little bit more outspoken now. Uh, And it seems to be kind of working for him rather than being, you know, maybe a third fight on a, on a pay-per-view or something, even a co-main, right? It seems like he's kind of, even though they are kind of under-publicized cards, it seems like, you know, because they really only have enough time to ever pump up the main event, he does kind of get the shine that, you know, what limited shine is coming is all coming to him. So um, especially for this one where he's, you know, eyeing, tying the record and all that kind of stuff, it feels like, I don't know why, it kind of feels like the right opponent. Um, At the same time, you know, Saying it's going to be anything but a Demetrius Johnson butt kicking seems like kind of a stupid comment. Um, Wilson Hayes seems like, you know, it seems like another strong opponent. You never want to totally discredit a guy. Um, the guy's six and two in the UFCs, one three straight coming in. You know, does he have the resume of Demetrius Johnson? No, but nobody does. So I don't know what you, you know, how do you build these things coming into him? It, every fight looks like it's going to be a massacre when you're talking about Mighty Mouse, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I think that the UFC has done an absolutely atrocious job of booking flyweights. Uh, They don't ever seem to make it to a main card, ever. You know, and there was a huge criticism of the UFC 210 card just recently because uh, they had, um, I I can't, how do you say her name? Calvalo? She fought against Pearl Gonzalez this weekend. And a lot oh, of people, went, yeah. yeah, people when that fight was announced are saying like the third, like the third fight on the main card, who are these people? But the UFC knows that they can market their female fighters. They put the female fighters on the main card because they can sell them and build them up and they can build a fan base for that. They've never done that with the flyweights. They, they, they don't do that for them. So Demetrius Johnson has basically been the only flyweight who's ever fought on a main card Uh, really uh, when you and you look at the guys that he's fought and it's like yeah there's some names on there but a lot of them when they fought him were just who's you know kyoji uraguchi not even in the ufc anymore which is a tragedy by the way chris karyasu ali bagutinov you know tim Elliott, you know a lot of these guys are kind of john moraga you know these guys okay, are
1: but it's, is this is this the product of the UFC not putting these guys in the right spots and not putting these you know these guys in the right cards and all this sort of stuff, or is this really just? I know you're not going to like to hear this, but who cares? Nobody wants to watch these guys fight. That's what the people are telling them. That's why they're buried on the prelims. That's why they're you know they're not headlining pay per views. You're saying these you know Cynthia Calvillo and and Pearl Gonzalez are on the main card. It's because people want to see these girls fight. That ratings are through the roof when the girls are fighting. This is just a reality. It was something we didn't see coming. As the sports progressing, it's just the facts. The other facts that seem to be coming more and more apparent. As much as no one wants to hear it, people don't want to see these little guys fight. They are, you know what I mean. They're not. I don't know what it is. You know, for me, you look and you say this guy's the pound for pound best fighter in the world. Sure, it's still hard when he looks half the size of the referee. It's hard for people tuning in and watching. You know, I, I think it's you know it's becoming people are gaining and starting to follow, a bit of interest behind this guy. But as a division, it just doesn't seem like, you know, I don't know that it's that they're not being promoted as much as it's just, you know, after enough time, there's only so much that, you know, the audience has kind of spoken to a degree now.
0: Yeah, I think think that definitely plays some into it, but I think that that's sometimes too simplistic because at the same time, to create a demand, sometimes you have to create the market for it. Sometimes there's, you got to disrupt it a little bit. And I feel like the UFC was too lazy or never cared enough to try and create a market for these guys. Like, what, it's the chicken or the egg. Is there no market for flyweights because they're small? Or is it because they never really tried to build a market for these guys by putting them in the right spots in the first place to find out that there was no market for them? I, I, I just feel more that it's, that it's the, the, the UFC's failings to put them in the right place bef- first to create that market. But we're talking about something else entirely. Are, are you excited to be see Demetrius fight this weekend? Like, are you a fan? Oh uh, yeah, I definitely am.
1: I, you know, I, I would say it, it does kind of tie into the whole size thing and everything we talked about. I think it took a bit of time to grow on me to some extent that division and kind of learning those fighters and gaining appreciation for what you're seeing. Right, they're they're moving at such a speed. I, I think it took a you know a bit of the instant replay catching up, some of the announcers to catch up to what some of what these guys are doing, um, just so we can even appreciate it, right? I think the first few times I would have seen Demetrius fight, I probably didn't even know what was going on half the time. Like, half his fights are over before you even know what the heck just happened. It takes you three replays to know, you know, just to follow along with the sequence and some of this stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely a fan. I'm excited to see him fight. Um, And like I said, I said going in, I kind of think this is the perfect spot for him. This is the card where, you know, I look to a card, I look and go, oh, wow, he's on the top of it. Perfect. And there's some depth to the card free on television. Great. This is this is a perfect weekend. So, um, yeah, definitely excited.
0: Do you You? expect? Well, of of course, I'm (laughs) I'm a huge Demetrius Johnson fan. I think the guy is the most well-rounded, balanced, as near to a perfect MMA fighter as you're ever going to find. Um, hasn't
1: hasn't lost since two thousand eleven yeah come on that's un- that's insane
0: yeah <laughs> he's unreal he's unreal and he wins in all sorts of different ways is the part that like i said like if you appreciate if you just remember that this is a guy who just he you know does he finish fights, yeah, i mean he had a reputation for a bit that maybe he didn't, but he finishes fights, he submits guys, he knocks dudes out, he beats guys. In the clinch, he beats guys with wrestling, he beats guys with his kickboxing, he beats you know, he does everything. He's so fun to watch, and it's so great to see that depth of skill. Um, but I I fully expect him to beat Wilson Hayes and to to tie that record with Anderson Silva. I it will be a great moment. I'm a big fan. Um, but we're not going to talk about him anymore because we're going to talk about a card. Uh, a fight that everybody wants to see because they're ladies fighting, Mitch, according to you. <laughs> that's what the, the people are there to see. Rose Naman Yunus versus Michelle the Karate Hottie Watterson. I mean, gosh! I, now I see why now I see why you why why you say that. Now I understand. Just saying their names. Rose <laughs> Naman Yunus and Michelle the Karate Hottie Watterson. Now I know why people don't watch Mighty Mouse.
1: yeah no it's true um you know it's funny because now i'm you know i don't i I think people should be watching the demetrius johnson fight i agree i was kind of going off what you were saying in terms of ratings with the women (laughs) fighters but um you know this is a fight that i'm excited to see to be honest with you i think it's a great matchup Mm -hmm. the thug the thug against the karate hottie um and both you know both exciting fighters both like you know rose is just so gritty and tough um the karate hotties you know kind of goes without saying when she's bringing to the table she's fast she's dynamic you're looking for exciting finishes it's going to be yeah it should be an awesome fight and uh yeah in terms of size another another smaller division right so you've got uh who would have thought back in the day you've got these 125s at the top of the card 115s in the co-main event it's it's a crazy thing and something that i think You know, it's a whole different card, right? You get to see that speed and just that pure athleticism. It's amazing. So, yeah, definitely excited for this. I think it should be very interesting. Um, And and Michelle Watterson, what are we going to see, right? This is a bit of a step up, I would argue, from Paige Van Zandt. And now we'll kind of see, you know, she's kind of on her way back up after all her, you know, personal issues and that kind of stuff. And she's, you know, looking for a title contention type fight. So this is, uh, yeah, an awesome fight. Very exciting stuff.
0: I, I, now, I'm just playing right into your game, but I, when you mentioned just ha- the two light lightest weight classes at the top of the card, I thought to myself, could Demetrius Johnson, sitting on Rose Nami Yunus's shoulders, beat Mark Hunt in a fight?
1: Uh, maybe not sitting on her shoulders. I, w- could he beat him just one on one? Whoa. Possibly.
0: Well, I'm saying you put no- Rose <laughs> Nami Yunus and John- they don't even weigh as much as him together. And they're probably not even as tall as him sitting on the shoulders. Maybe slightly bigger.
1: Yeah. I, I think he is tall, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the weight size is crazy. And, I, and that's exactly what I mean. It's just interesting. So you're watching for different things, right? Yeah. Like a lot of the transitions and the footwork. And it's just, it's it's a different thing. And it is something that, you know, takes a second to kind of adjust your eyes yeah. to. You, and once you do, you know, it's awesome. So it,
0: It's kind of yeah. like um, how we as Canadians, I mean, you and I aren't particularly like this, but... Uh, Canadians love hockey. And one of the reasons is hockey is such a fast sport. It's faster than any other professional sport there is. And as part of that is like, if you don't watch hockey on a regular basis and you just start watching, you don't know what you're looking for because it's so quick. You miss things. You just, it seems like it's just total chaos. And the lighter weight classes, because like you said, they move at such a speed, it's like you don't even know what you're looking for anymore. With the heavyweights, it's like they throw a haymaker and you can see it coming from a mile away. And you're like, oh, yeah, these guys throw big and hard. But the lighter weight classes, the combos they throw, they're in and out, and you're just like, I don't even know if he hit them. I quite honestly i am not even sure. Uh,
1: yeah, and I, and I think with the sizes, they're less of the, you know, you see less of the one-trick pony type of stuff, right? You see less yeah. of the rumble johnsons who everyone in the world knows well you think you know what you're going to get from them anyways <laughs> but you you know with these with the a lot of the smaller weight classes they are they mix it up a lot more they're used to having to you know train with guys that are bigger than them fight people that are bigger than them and that type of stuff and they end up with more diverse skills it just kind of yeah it's it kind of goes without saying you're going to see something and exciting that's the word that comes to mind when i think of you know these these ladies or or Mighty Mouse, obviously, right? It's just exciting. It's going to be quick and sudden and, you know, it just doesn't, you know, maybe feel the same for whatever reason. And and uh yeah, it's gonna be good to see and this is another great showcase for those for the weight divisions for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for this fight. I think it's got a lot of implications for both fighters. I think I think Rose is really at that stage of is she ever going to pan out like a lot of people suspected? This is a fighter who Ronda Rousey touted as being, oh, I think she could be the next me, as silly as that is to for someone to say. Anyways, um, and she is now not, she's not doing so hot. I think she's five and three. Not the greatest record to have when you're supposed to un a, a next great. Meanwhile, Michelle Watterson, streaking right now. If, if she wins, very well could have a title shot all lined up. So a lot of implications for this fight. Okay, we're getting really tight for time, but I know that you so badly wanted to talk about one patrick cummins why mitch why do you want to bring up patrick cummins
1: (laughs) to be fair i'm not i don't know that i even really you know i just think everyone in the world should see his selfie that's basically all i'm gonna say his post fight from an ambulance selfie uh is just something to see you've got (laughs) to see it really Uh, quite amazing that's really all i wanted to talk about to me we talked about this last week but the the stories and the, you know, the kind of the craziness that is the sport of mixed martial arts outside of the actual fighting to me blows me away sometimes. And this yeah. is just another case. Look at this man's face. Yeah. I mean, look at his face, and the, I mean, he just went through a war, won two straight rounds to come. You know, he lost the first round handily. Got his got his butt kicked, quite frankly. His face can kind of attest to it, and just smiling year to year, posting a selfie. Blows my mind, you know. In I, an
0: ambulance, I, right. In
1: an ambulance, yeah. <laughs> I, I get a, I get a paper cut and I'm out for three weeks, you know. I got <laughs> to call everyone I work for and quit, you know. I can't type, but well, I got a paper cut. What am I supposed to do? got a big band aid, and this guy's smiling ear to ear, he has a beauty mustache going on. I don't know. How do you not want to talk about that really?
0: I, I have to admit that it is an endearing picture. It sort of sums up, like you said, uh it sums up the sport for good and bad and all in all the ways and all the ways that we love this sport that that picture kind of puts it together for me uh, i have to agree i'm not a cummins fan necessarily uh but but i thought that that was just a a nice way to kind of uh, kind of end uh my weekend after the debauchery that was ufc 210 to to see that picture i kind of put a smile on my face and maybe say you know what Things are going to be okay. We do deserve good things. We do deserve. Well, good things.
1: it's it's a nice reminder that the card was actually quite had a lot of stuff going on for it up until those last two fights, right? A lot of the undercard stuff was great. The first three on the main card were great. It really was kind of I, I kind of was you know I was looking at it the next day and thinking, yeah, that you know, re- it was just kind of a reminder of everything that was that was good on the card, I guess, in a weird way. So,
0: well, <laughs> uh, last note. As we segue, as we ride off into the sunset, we as Canadians are obliged to give a farewell, thank you, applause to one Patrick Cote. Some people may think he's just a middle card journeyman kind of guy, but I'll tell you what, that's a dude who fought Anderson Silva. That is a dude who stuck around, a below average athlete, really not an amazing athlete, stuck around in the UFC for as long as he did, left, came back, And always was a game guy, always seemed to be improving, always worked really hard. Um, Sad to see him go, honestly, I always enjoyed when I saw Cote's name on a card, I always thought, oh yeah, Patrick Cote, man, that guy's still going at it. So, um, retiring from the sport of mixed martial arts, one of the great Canadian MMA fighters. I mean, that's saying something, but you know... (laughs)
1: Yeah. You know, crazy. When you think about the facts, uh, you know, most of most people remember his fight against Anderson Silva. That was in 2008. The crazy thing to me is we're in 2017. That fight ends, you know, he loses. They get to talk to him. He announces that he's, you know, he's retiring from the sport. And I was almost shocked. That's how much this guy was able to reinvent himself in the last few years. You know, he was, he was competitive again. He was good again. He didn't seem out of place on a main card even though, you know, there had been a few years kind of in the middle there where he was rebuilding himself. And um, it, I think that kind of speaks to the toughness and the grittiness that he had. But it's something that, um, yeah, I, that's the one thing that really stuck with me is that I was I was genuinely a little bit shocked when he made that announcement. And he'd been around for 15 years. I mean, you shouldn't be that shocked, but he was still competing at that high of a level. And, and that fight, even on Saturday night, that fight was fun. It was fun to watch. And it was, you know, I would have liked to see a bit better of a result, but it was... It was competitive and, and game, exactly like you say. So, yeah, sad to see him go, and uh, yeah, hats off. What can you say? Great career.
0: Well, Patrick Coté, eh? we're gonna crack the uh, bats for you, buddy. Cheers on a good career, eh? Congratulations. Right off into the sunset, you earned it. Go watch the Montreal Canadiens. Now. Wow!
1: I'm wow! Really oh all things canadiana right there oh boy
0: i tried i tried (laughs) (laughs) mitch thank you for joining me once again thank you sir you have been listening to the hurt take the people's podcast thank you very much we will see you next week